morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark, and this is week two of Pathways Belong. Uh, hopefully you uh, received your Pathways journal on the way in, but uh, also were, was able to follow along and, and read uh, each and every day just the the wonderful stories that are being shared uh, for our community, by our community. And hopefully that's been something in an enriching time. So we're going through this series and really talking about what it means to belong. We talked last week about the idea of with and, and this idea of just being with one another and how being with one another changes things. Today we're going to be talking about this idea of, of worship and how, how worship is, is central to who we are as, as women and, and men who are followers of Christ and, and how we become worshipers. We have a graphic call, uh, that we call the axis here at E3, and the way that we understand the Christian life is this idea of, of that we are all called to make, mature, and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. That's the mission of the church. But at the center of that is this idea of worship, and worship being a response to God's goodness, that we don't do things just because they're good to do. We do them as a response to what uh, that uh, it's response and love because God first loved us, that we, we uh, tell other people about the good news of, of Jesus Christ, the good news that, hey, you are invited to uh, be part of God's family, that we uh, our, our response in worship to God's goodness is that we connect uh, people with community, that uh, another act of worship is telling others about, about Jesus and, and, and discipling them and teaching them how to follow Christ. And then um, the final one is uh, a response and service to serve the least of these, to be the tangible hand of Christ in this lost and hurting world. When I was growing up, uh, my, my father, uh, he, he was a, a professional musician. I don't know if you know that. I know a lot of you uh, do and and this was before he was a follower of Christ and and he would you know play music and do all this stuff and everything that goes along with being a professional musician. Well, when he became a follower of Christ, he couldn't reconcile how his his uh, instrument uh, he couldn't reconcile his instrument in that world with his new Christian world. So what he did was he took his instruments and he basically put them under the bed and, and, and just stopped using them because it, that had become such a, a, a place of hurt and brokenness, brokenness in his life. Well, a guy came along, Steve Hatfield, who uh, has since passed on, but actually uh, his son and I are still friends. His son's a church planner in, in Boise, Idaho. And Steve started discipling my dad. Steve was another musician, a bluegrass musician, and that was my dad's kind of love. And started telling him about how he could use this, this gift and use it as, to bring glory to God to, as, as an instrument of, of worship. 
So they started going around, and, and they played all the big venues, including uh, the Union Rescue Mission in Los Angeles. Now, I don't know if you know about the Union Rescue Mission, but it's on a, on a street that, that is called Skid Row. Uh, Skid Row is a, is a hopeless place where the, the homeless and the poor and, and the diseased and, and, and the forgotten go in Los Angeles. And there's a few different kind of uh, organizations down there that, that try to help people, that they try to give them blankets and food and, and things like that. Well, the Union Rescue Mission is is uh, one of those places, and, and uh, Steve and my dad would go there and, and, and play for these mostly men, but a, f- a few women at, at that time. Uh, they would play music, and, and they would, you know, uh, share, share the gospel of the good news of Christ and, and things like that, and my dad would take me down there. You know, I never really understood why. I mean, I was just a little kid, and uh, in, in a place where there were some, you know, people had been beat up pretty bad from life. And I remember my, my dad in the, in the midst of the show, I guess you would call it, the bluegrass show, that he, he would tell this story about, about a violin and an auction. And the way he told this story was that there was this auction and, and, and there was this uh, old violin that, that was going up for sale and the auctioneer takes out this, this violin and it's dusty and it's dented and, and uh, scraped up and, and you know, it's out of tune and the auctioneer holds it up and says, who will give me $100 for this violin? Oh, and they, and they were quiet, just like you guys are. Have you heard this story? This is, uh, so nobody, nobody bids $100. Who will give me $50? Todd, will you give me $50? Dang it. <laughs> nobody will give him $50. $20, $10, $5. <laughs> Thank you. So at $3, nobody, uh, uh, actually nobody in the story wanted this old violin. And he tells the story of as, as the auctioneer said, what about the case? The case is at least, you know, worth the $3, but still nobody wanted this old violin. Suddenly a hand goes up at the back of, of the auditorium. And somebody said, may I see that violin? And the auctioneer's like, yeah, please, come, take a look at it. You know, we can get, get this out of here. So this guy comes up and he picks up the violin and looks at it, pulls out a cloth and, and cleans it, starts to tune it, then reaches down for the bow and starts to play the most beautiful music that the people had ever heard. And then he hands back the violin and thanked the auctioneer. And the auctioneer said, who will give me $5? And somebody said, I'll give you five. And another person said, I'll give you 10, 100, 1,000, 
$10,000. And the bidding went up and up and up until the violin was sold for more than anybody ever dreamed a violin could be worth. At the end of the auction, a little boy comes up to the auctioneer and said, what's the difference? What's the difference between what once was a $5 or a violin that no one would give $5 for and this now priceless violin? And the auctioneer says to the boy, the touch of a master's hand. And I never really got that story growing up, but I think back about that, especially where the context that I heard that story and people in just shabby clothes smelling like vomit and alcohol and, and I mean, they're a strange bunch of guys, you know, you, as you could, you know, well imagine. And them hearing that story, that presentation of the gospel. But even farther, that the idea that this, this violin, touched by the master, did what? It played this beautiful music that, that changed the hearts of the audience. And that's worship. And even though we're not on skid row... And even though, you know, we don't smell bad and, and, you know, we probably know where our next meal is coming from. The reality is that that is the heart of the gospel. That we were this life that maybe the world could not see any value in your life. But the master comes and touches your life. And you go from something that is discarded by the world, but made priceless by the Master. And how this all comes around is this idea that, that it centers around worship. And worship in this particular context of bringing glory to God. And we bring glory to God when we, we come together in a, in, a, in a place like this that is intentionally set apart for God's purpose. In fact, that's one of the understandings of, of making something holy is setting it aside for God's purpose. And, and we set aside once a week at least an hour on Sunday to be holy. An hour set aside for God's purpose to, to encourage us and equip us and edify us and, and, and to raise our voices together to bring glory to God. I was thinking about all of this and, and kind of thinking about the idea of gathering. And there's a verse that, that I'm going to use out of context, just being honest. It's uh, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. And this is, this is a very famous verse uh, in churches and, and, and uh, 
prayer groups and growth groups when attendance is not very good. I'm just, I'm just being honest. This is how it's used. You know, it's like you're expecting like 12 people to show up at your house and like, you know, one or two people show up and you like, oh, wow, what, how can I make this legitimate? You go, oh, Matthew 18, 20. Do you know <laughs> for when two or three are gathered together, Jesus is here. So we are legit, right? You've heard it used that way, right? I've used it that way. It's out of context. It has no, it's not what, what Jesus is saying, but we use it to make us feel good about nobody coming to our house to eat our cookies and stuff. No, Matthew 18. Anybody here know what Matthew 18 is about? Discipline. It's about church discipline. It actually starts out, if, if somebody, if a brother or sister sins against you, tweet about it. <laughs> oh, man, I always get that wrong. No. Uh, no, you don't tweet about it. What? You, you go to them. And what's the Bible say? If you, after you go to them and you win them, you know, if, if they listen to you, you've, you obviously read your Bible, Susan. You've won your brother and sister over. Right. And uh, perfect. And uh, uh, you know, and if that doesn't work, you bring two or three, you guys are doing so good, two or three others with you, right? And then it goes all through this and he follows up, hey, when two or three are gathered in my name, hey, Bob, you're messing up. I am there with you. And it's actually conveying this idea of authority. That you are authorized to speak words of life into one another. That you are authorized when you come together that there's something that happens. That you have come together as the body of Christ. I used to see this verse and I'm like, why isn't Jesus with me when I'm like, you know, by myself? I mean, it's horrible theology, right? When you take it out of context, no, it's talking about the church. It's talking about being the church. It's talking about coming together and being the body of Christ and encouraging people to live that life that they have said they want to live. Authority is a huge thing in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. In Matthew 28, after Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and he was uh, rose again, that he came before his disciples and he said, I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. So this is what I want you to do. And if you can go back to the access graphic, I want you to go and tell people about the good news of Christ, to outreach, to go and tell them that they are invited to baptize them. Why do people get baptized? Because they want to identify that they belong to Jesus Christ and they belong to the body of Christ. And then he says that I want you to teach these new followers of Christ how to love God and, and love people. And this, this idea that, that, you know what, Jesus is transferring his authority to the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 1. Paul writes this, 
Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. So they will believe and obey Him, bringing glory to His name. Again, going back to the the Axis graphic, this idea that, you know what? We have been authorized to go tell people, and the way Paul puts it, we have the privilege and authority as apostles to go tell Gentiles everywhere. And you know what happens? You know what's super cool? When that happens, when they when they listen and they accept that invitation, that you know what, they're gonna obey, and, and in obeying, this is a sense of response to this good news. And in a response to this good news, that they're gonna go and make a mature and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ, that so they are gonna tell other people, hey, you know what? You are invited. That you know what? You are a masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do the things that God has planned for you long ago. You are like a discarded violin full of potential and value and beauty, and the touch of the master's hand is going to make you priceless. That you know what? You can belong to a community that, 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 that is going to come around you and encourage you in, in these things and teach you how to do these things, and in the name of Christ to go out and serve the least of these. And by doing that, it's going to bring glory to God's name, going to worship Him. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews writes this, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Verse 15, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Let me just pause really quick there. Isn't that cool? Jesus isn't looking for a shiny, you know, violin. He's not looking for for a shiny, perfect person. This This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That, that, you know what? He knows that you're a broken, messy person. And He desperately wants to be in relationship with you. So much so that He came to us because we didn't have the ability to go to Him. So that we don't have to perish, but we can have eternal life. But it's not a destination gospel, and it always irritates me when people are like, you know what, say this prayer or you're going to burn in hell forever. It's not a destiny, it's not an either or thing. No, it it is painted, Jesus paints a picture in Revelation of of this idea of I stand at the door and knock. And if you open up the door and let me in, I'll come in and sit with you and share a meal. Jesus is not a fire insurance salesman. 
he wants to come and eat your growth group cookies with you. <laughs> right? Two or three, lots of cookies left over. Jesus is there. That is what we're talking about. He understands that you're broken and messy. That's the whole point. That He's come to touch your life, to make you the masterpiece you've been created to be, to do the things that He has planned for you long ago. It doesn't mean you're perfect. That's not the deal. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But our Savior is perfect. And He picks you. And He picks me. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. And then I love this in verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. This idea of going boldly to the throne of the creator of the universe. Why? How can we go boldly? Because we are authorized. We're, we are not servants. We are not hired hands that Jesus says, you know what, we will have a meal together as friends. Yeah, I'm still the king. You're not the king. I'm the king. But you know what? We are also friends. And you don't have to come to me with fear and trepidation, but you can come boldly before the throne and know that you are authorized and that you will be accepted. Another reason that we come together in a, in a time like this is this idea of, of motivation. Have you ever lacked motivation? The half of you didn't respond just lacked motivation to respond to me. So there you go. That's all of us, right? All of us at some time or another lacks motivation. Let me tell you some things that I love. I love being the pastor of Element 3 Church. I love sharing different thoughts with you guys. I love being a dad. I love my wife, and I love riding my bicycle, okay? I love other things, but, but those are some, like, things that I absolutely love. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes I'm not motivated to do my job. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I get an email that makes me want to quit. Like makes me go, what the H-E double hockey sticks am I doing? Right? Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I lack the motivation. Sometimes I lack the motivation to love my wife and, and kids the way that I know that I should. I love them. Sometimes it's just lazy. Sometimes I'm not motivated. I love riding my bike. You know what? Sometimes 
I don't want to ride my bike. I'm not motivated to do it. We're coming up into a season that I'll wake up at, you know, 5.30 in the morning and it's dark and it's 20 degrees out. I'm not motivated to ride my bike. We're not talking about love. What we're talking about is motivation. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse uh, 24, it says, Let us think about ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And this is one of the reasons that, that we come to a place like this, to get motivated. Do you know that, you know, statistically, if you take a semester off in college, Donna, you're in college, what happens? Right, and most don't. It's not that you don't, you've all of a sudden decided that getting a degree is a bad idea. No, it's just a lack of motivation. You know, you're at McDonald's making eight bucks an hour. You know, why go back? Right? No, I mean, you get, you get used to having an income and everything. I mean, so, you know, it's not a value choice. It's a motivation thing. You also, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, with exercise, that sometimes you don't go out on your bicycle or you don't go to the gym, and what happens? It's easier and easier not to go. You just kind of drop out. And I can tell you, I'm friends with a lot of, of different athletes, and when, you know, an athlete goes from looking like, you know, a Greek god or something like that, and then, you know, they miss a workout, and you're like, hey, you know, we're, we're worried, like, oh, I had something come up, and then, you know, the next week, you know, you call them, what happened, you know, oh, you know, this other, this other thing, and then, you know, you kind of give up on them after a while, and a couple of months later, you see that, you know, they haven't done anything, and they've gone from, you know, being looking like a Greek god to not looking like a Greek god, right? I mean, it's just kind of like one of the more, you know, obvious things that, you know, it's like, eh, you know, I do it with my diet all the time. I'll get really well, do really well on my diet, and, you know, once I fall off the diet, it's not that I, I, you know, it's always funny to me. It's like, how many of you don't know that, like, eating vegetables and, and lean meat and all that it is, is, you know, good for you and better than eating a chocolatey ho-ho or something like that. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's not an education problem. It is a motivation problem. I don't have the motivation to eat kale over a Twinkie. <laughs> right? It's not that I think that Twinkie is like equal in nutritional value to the kale. I don't even know what kale is, but, but I know it's a vegetable. So it's like a sticky kind of, I don't know. Okay. So we, we come to a place like this to remind us about worship. It's, it's, it's like going back to the violin idea that, that it's our tune-up. Is missing a workout going to, you know, destroy your fitness? Of course not. 
Is missing one week at church going to destroy your, your spirituality? Of course not. Is missing one semester going to destroy your, your uh, education? You know, no, of course not. Nobody's saying that they're, it's a one-to-one kind of ratio. But what happens is if we get out of that world, if we get out of the education world or the athletic world or the dieting world or the spiritual world, that we lose motivation. And one of the most important things as we come together is, is that we motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. I was actually talking about uh, with, with Eric, you know, one thing that, like, if you spend any amount of time with Eric Case, you know what he's doing, like, 90% of the time? No, he's tuning his guitar. Dude's always tuning his guitar. You know, you look at him, it's like, why do you keep putting it out of tune? <laughs> right? Buy your guitar, tune it, and move on with your life. Well, we're, we're like that. He doesn't un-de-tune. Whatever, you know what I mean. It just happens, and the same thing is true in our lives, that we get out of tune, we get out of sync, and if we don't have these daily and weekly and monthly reminders that we, we get out of tune, and, and, and soon we just don't play at all because we're just done. And that's why, you know, your daily devotional that, that we put out is so important. Being in the Word of God every day and praying every day is so important. Being part of a growth group is so important. To coming to a place like this so that we, can, that we can motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. And then finally, just this idea of encouragement. In Philippians chapter 2, there's a, a few questions that I just want to talk to you about that I think they're great questions. And Paul means them rhetorically because it's a given. It's meant to be a teaching point, but I don't think it's a given in the 21st century. I think that for a lot of ways that modern life has moved us so far away from the centrality of Christ and living lives of worship that these questions, even for a Christian, are not givens. Like this one, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I mean, our, our initial response is, of course there is. But I don't know if you could truthfully answer that if you weren't part of the body of Christ, being encouraged daily, being in the Word daily, praying daily. If you just kind of like skipped it, where are you getting your encouragement from? Any comfort from His love. How about this one? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? How can there be fellowship together in the Spirit if you are not in fellowship together in the Spirit? Right? Or this one. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I got to tell you, this, this may possibly be outside of, of love for God and all that, but this may be the most practical, you know, kind of thing, argument 
for being part of a local church is, is answering this question, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Because I got to tell you, outside of my church community, everything in the world is trying to harden my heart. Everything and everyone. From driving people driving in front of me too slow or somebody behind me driving too fast, you know, somebody cutting me off, somebody buying three months worth of groceries with pennies, you know, uh, you know, don't, you know, I, there's times that I just want to tear my radio out of my car because of what is coming out. It, it makes me, everything out there makes me want to just isolate. Except this place. Except my growth group. Except the Bible. Because when I come to a place, this place, when I go to growth groups, when I've been reading the stories in the, in the, in the Pathways journals, it makes my heart soft and compassionate. And it makes me want to respond to God's goodness and to bless others. And he says, look, if the answer is yes to all these things, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. You see, the idea of the Christian faith is to belong. The idea of the Christian faith is not to put people either in heaven or in hell. The idea of the Christian faith is, you know what? You matter to God. That you know what? Like that violin, maybe no one sees any value in you. But if you allow the master to touch you, your life. That you can be the masterpiece that you've been created to be. To be beautiful in the Creator's sight. And to be able to respond to His love by bringing glory to His name. By being the tangible hand of Christ, by being the person who tells other people who just want to shut down because the world is closing in, saying, you know what? Soften your heart. Be compassionate. Together, as the body of Christ, we can make a difference. And as an act of worship, we can bring glory to God in this lost and hurting world. You guys pray with me.